You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is going to be a spiritual journey where each week we explore differing faiths by asking questions and engaging in a discussion with differing faith leaders. That way we can form a mosaic of answers to life's deeper questions, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? How do we know? Is there life after death? These and deeper questions we'll be exploring over the coming weeks. And we're very honoured today to be joined by Reverend Talitha Arnold, the Senior Minister of the United Church of Santa Fe. Welcome, Talitha. Thank you, Rabbi. How are you? I'm just fine today. Good. Thank you. So tell us, what is the United Church? The United Church of Santa Fe is a congregation here in Santa Fe. We're located near St. Vincent's Hospital. We've been here since 1980, but our roots are in what is called the United Church of Christ, which is a uh, moderate to liberal Protestant tradition whose roots are primarily in uh, congregationalism. Those Mayflower pilgrims who took off from England and Holland to come to what they consider the New World. However, the Native American peoples who were living here already <laughs> knew that it was their world, mm-hmm. and that's a whole history unto itself. But it's also a denomination or a uh, um, Christian tradition that is deeply rooted in the life of this country and also deeply rooted in both a commitment to education, to loving God with heart, soul, and mind, all the way back to the founding of universities like Yale and Harvard and Oberlin and historic African-American colleges, and also deeply committed to loving God, loving neighbor, and we've added at United Church of Santa Fe, loving creation. What does that mean when you talk about loving God with heart, soul, and mind? What is that for you? Really good question. Um, that, that this mystery we call God, and I know, and when I use the term God, I don't mean some white-haired elderly gentleman up in the sky, but the mystery, the power that um, in the words of Dante, the poet Dante, the love that moves the, um, or, excuse me, the love that moves the sun and all stars, and the mystery that is always beyond our comprehension. That, <clears throat> to me, loving God means being in relationship with that mystery, and it means um, being on the journey of faith. Um, Nikos Kazantzakis, the author of Zorba the Greek and a number of other wonderful novels from the middle of last century, in a book called book a novel that he wrote about St. Francis has had a wonderful quote in there. I remember reading it when I was a junior in high school of what is God but the search for God. And that so loving God is saying it's like loving another human being in some ways that we can never fully know them. Um, sometimes we don't always understand, um, but somehow we continue in that relationship. So if you if the relationship with God and loving God is similar but different to loving a person. But you also say that God is a mystery beyond mm-hmm. comprehension. Mm-hmm. How is it possible to love something so mysterious that we can't <laughs> comprehend that being? That's great. Good question. In the same way that we love creation. I mean, you stand in awe of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, uh, an incredible Santa Fe sunset that I think that part of love is is standing is standing in awe and saying wow um the, as i remember a friend of mine who was in a 12 step program telling me the story one time of i think it probably is fairly 
familiar in 12-step programs about this young man who was had just gotten involved in AA and he was just perseverating and ang- anxious over, you know, what is this higher power thing? What is this God thing? All of that kind of stuff. And finally, his sponsor, a much older man who'd uh, been around the block a few times, <laughs> finally said to him, listen, the only thing you need to know about God is that you ain't it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but I think that's, that's an important differentiation because mm-hmm. when you talk about seeing the mountains and seeing mm-hmm. the sunset, we can see those things. Mm-hmm. We can be in awe of them because we see them. Mm-hmm. How can we be in awe of God if we can't see God? Oh, wonderful. Good. Uh, well, in the same way that, say, for example, an experience I've had about two years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Jerusalem for several weeks and oftentimes went to the Western Wall. And just stood there and no, you know, hundreds, thousands of people going there. They're not praying to the wall. They're praying to the mystery beyond the wall. Uh, the Protestant theologian Paul Tillich would talk about that, that all of our words for God can never encapsulate God. Any more, I would say, Neil, that, that when you're in a relationship with somebody as a lover, as a partner, as a spouse, as a friend— we can never fully know that person. Right. So looking at your website, I really mm-hmm. appreciate that answer. Thank you. Because looking at your website, you mentioned um, the uh, seven basic beliefs that shape mm-hmm. the United Church of Santa Fe. And, uh, and God is clearly present throughout mm-hmm. this. Um, and in one of the um, basic beliefs, you talk about God's spirit binding in covenant, faithful people of all ages, tongues and races. Mm-hmm. So this sense of awe of God and this sense of relationship that you have, how does that connect to covenant? How, how does covenant become part of that? That it becomes part of it insofar as, I mean, that the spirit of God is, again, within both of our traditions, both Judaism and also within Christianity and the, the common ground that we share that the notion of God's spirit is is also from a Hebrew word that also means breath um, and that or wind. And that certainly, I mean, I think a very basic way in which God's spirit binds us together is that just what I did, I have to take a breath in. You have to take the breath. We both share the same air. You may be Jewish. I may be Christian. You may be male. I may be female. Um, you're from England. I'm from Arizona. Uh, we're not going to call the whole thing off. <laughs> we, we, we both breathe the same air. And, and so regardless of what our background, our race, color, creed, um, faithful people of all ages, tongues, and races, for me at least, that's a, that's a very bottom line kind of way of uh, the Spirit of God being that animating force that gives life to everything. You, me, um, trees polywogs, tadpoles, I mean, the, the whole enchilada, as they say. <laughs> so we're all connected mm-hmm. through the fact that we all breathe, that we are all, are all living and have been given life. Absolutely. Everyone who is listening to this is connected that way. Right. But a covenant implies a sense of responsibility, a mm-hmm. sense of uh, law, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And some people listening might feel a sense of covenant and some mm-hmm. people don't. So what for you is covenant as opposed to connection? That's a, that's a, a hard and a, and a good question. There's a distinction. I guess I would say covenant as opposed to contract. Mm-hmm. Um, covenant is a word that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's central to your tradition. It's central to my tradition. 
but it's also one that is used more commonly in our day and age with um, homeowners associations. Right. <laughs> you know, you can't park your five 50-year-old uh, Chevy trucks on your front yard. Right. <laughs> kind of th- that's the covenant. But if you go back to either one, and especially your tradition, I mean, the whole notion of covenant is that God is, this mystery called God is somehow in relationship with the people, mm-hmm. and that no matter what they do, that covenant's not going to be broken. I mean, and, and that's part of the, uh, of the Christian tradition as well. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's an anything-goes kind of understanding. I mean, that we do have response, we have a moral and ethical responsibility, so that the covenant is that it's not a contract that um, that can be broken or it's not a contract that, well, it's every jot and tittle of this, that, and the other thing. It really is the deepness of the, the, deepness of the relationship. So if we have a moral and ethical responsibility, why do we need religion? Can we just, in, in your understanding, why can't we just be good people? Or can we? That's a, lo- a loaded question. <laughs> that is a loaded can question. We just, can we just be good people and keep God out of this? I think certainly people can be. Um, I think it's pretty lonely. <laughs> In which what is way? A, well, for me, again, the religion is not so much, again, about worshiping some god off in the sky or, um, uh, or some model of, of, you know, some statue or whatever. It really is continually putting oneself in that place of saying, ah, saying, wow, saying there is more to life than, than, what, I, than what I understand. And, I mean, I certainly have good, very good friends who are, you know, aren't, don't participate in any kind of faith tradition, um, probably would be more, agno- I mean, would, certainly would consider themselves agnostic, and they are certainly some of the most moral, just people I know. Um, and, I, and I remember one time, um, Neil, when I was uh, in seminary, um, and asking myself the question, Talitha, would your way of being in this world, in terms of ethics, working for justice, caring about one's neighbor, caring about creation, etc., would that be any different if you didn't believe in the mystery and power that, that is sometimes called God? And I said to myself, no. You know, I'm not – one doesn't be – one isn't a just or, or moral person or ethical person because of some um, – because of some promise that there's going to be – it's all going to be okay in the sweet by and by. Mm-hmm. It's that that's the, way, that's the only way to live life, for me at least, is, is a life that is lived for others and a life that somehow gives life to others and a life that somehow knows that at the center of life – there's this incredible thing called the animating force of, I mean, Paul Tillich called it the ground of being. Sometimes we call it God. Sometimes we call it Yahweh. Sometimes we call it Allah. So if we have this ground of being and if, mm-hmm. if living our life uh, ethically is, is so central mm-hmm. um, and if living with a sense of awe, uh, that sense of wonder of the world and even the fact that we breathe, as you mentioned, the, the fact that we are alive, the inconceivable surprise of being, as Abraham Joshua Heschel mm-hmm. would call it. Mm-hmm. What place has prayer in your life or in the life of your community? You're asking some wonderful questions. I think prayer has um, – prayer, prayer is manifested and has a role in all kinds of ways. Again, for me, the essence of prayer is setting aside time and space somehow to be in the, in the presence of that mystery. 
um, a very, one of my mentors in ministry who was, um, his name was the, the Reverend Dr. Reuben Shears. He was African-American, grown up in Charleston, South Carolina in the days of the segregated South, um, became one of the leader, uh, leaders of the, of the United Church of Christ on a national level in the, in the 70s and, and into the 80s. Very close friend. Um, and I remember him talking one time about why people come to church, and it's because the other six and a half days of the week we're so tempted to worship all the other mini-gods of our culture, uh, whether it's our own devices and desires or greed or, you know, i got to have this or i got to have that or whatever, my own fears. And that on when we gather for worship, whether it's a Friday night mm-hmm. uh, Sabbath service or a Sunday morning service or whenever we gather for worship and or for prayer, that's when we start worshiping the one true God, the one who's, whose life really makes sense. And so then for me, prayer takes all kinds of forms. I mean, prayer is everything. I'm not an introvert. I am an introvert to to a certain degree. But I'm the kind of person that you tell me to sit down and close my eyes and contemplate for 20 minutes. And the first thing I'll say is, oh, my God, it's dark in here. Um, (laughs) So I pray. I pray through writing. I pray through study. I pray through song. I pray through hiking, walking. Um, whatever it is that – and sometimes I do sit in, in silence in a sacred space. Whatever I can do to, to not block out but somehow get back in touch with that, with that one true ground of being, God, spirit, maker of the universe, love that moves the sun, the sun and all the stars. So before we take a break, let me ask, is there then a set liturgy in your community or – because your description of prayer is, mm-hmm. is seems to be very much beyond words. Um, so are there set prayers? Is there a set prayer book? Um, or, or And if there is, is that just serving as an inspiration for something further? It's, it's serving as an inspiration for something further. We, we're, what's called the free church, we're in what's called the free church tradition. And so um, we do have a book of worship, but it's not like, the say, a, um, the Book of Common Prayer or the Catholic Missalette. They are their opportunities to 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 look at the ways that other people in the past and in the present have tried to talk about this mystery called God, and that um, and so it provides our framework. And sometimes I don't know about about you, but I know for myself, sometimes I need the words of others. Mm-hmm. Number one, to get the rats out of my own head, uh, or the hamster uh, the hamster wheel that's going. Um, but also that whether it's the book of Psalms or other kinds of, of prayers that have been prayed by people for hundreds and thousands of years are a way of providing a new insight and helping me to and helping the congregation I serve to enter into a different reality in that regard. Thank you. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR 101.1, and we're going to be back with Reverend Talitha Arnold just after these messages. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. And today we're soul searching with Reverend Talitha Arnold, the senior minister of the United Church of Santa Fe. And we're having an extraordinary conversation here about <laughs> theology and prayer. And I, I noticed in your uh, on your website this idea that to love God is to love your neighbor and to love creation. 
And uh, and you quote from Micah uh, chapter six, and you also mention the Deuteronomic code of Moses and the teachings of Jesus. And my question as a rabbi, of course, is what about the rest of Mosaic <laughs> code? What about, of course, there isn't so much law in Genesis, although there are some laws which we in the Jewish community derive from Genesis. Um, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, What's wrong with those books? <laughs> Nothing is wrong with them. <laughs> it's just that Micah provides a really good soundbite. <laughs> okay. Love God. I mean, um, you know, love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with God. I, I think that – and then everything else expands out from that. But I think it, for me at least it's a way of getting back on track with what really is the essence. And the other part of it too, Neil, and I would love to have, have an opportunity down the line to, ext- to extend this conversation – is that one of the things I really like about the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, is that the story where Moses, I mean, he gives it his best shot all the way through. There's all kinds of laws about all kinds of things, whether it's what to eat or um, how to wash your hands or you know how to relate to strangers or any of that kind of stuff. But then, you know as well as I do, at the very end of his life, in, his la- in, in Moses' last sermon, if you will, to the Israelite people, as they're headed off into the promised land, a promised land that he is not going to be able to go into, he says, and this is paraphrasing, obviously, Deuteronomy, but he says, basically, folks, I've given you my best shot. I've tried to, to let you know how, you know, let you know how to live in this new, in this new land of freedom. You're no longer slaves. For 40 years, you've been being shaped by God to become free, responsible, ethical people. Both God and I have given it our best shot. But then in that, in that last sermon, he says, Today I set before you blessing and curse, life and death. Therefore, choose life that you and your, and your children and your grandchildren can live. Mm-hmm. And so can the rest of this world. Again, I remember um, when I was in college many, many years ago um, that at the, my freshman year in college, the baccalaureate sermon at Pomona College was being given by the new head of the political science department who happened to be a rabbi also. Mm-hmm. And he used this as his text. And I think it was the first time that had ever really set in for me. And I realized, yeah, that makes sense. You know, there was no way Moses could know what those people were going to face in that next generation, nor could Moses know what you and I face in our lives or that how the world has changed or whatever, you know, what the questions, the, the particular questions of a time and place and culture might be. But if the plumb line is how do you figure out how to affirm life for, for others, for oneself, for all of creation, then it gives you that kind of flexibility. Mm. And, and so for me, the, the, the power of, of the law, if you will, and I know that Christians sometimes can, you know, be very, very self-righteous about, well, you know, we, we, we believe in love and others believe in the law. Well, that's not, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but that, that my understanding is that the law of Deuteronomy and the other books, I mean, that, that was seen as a life-giving force for the people, a way of how do you make sense of this life? And some of those particular laws made sense in that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't eat pork because you're going to get sick <laughs> if you're living in a desert world. Um, you know, maybe that, you know, and, and how do we, but then what does that mean 3,000 years later? So I, this leads to uh, a question for me. 
Uh, for me, I think the laws of kashrut are, are much more than just health laws. Mm-hmm. There's a, the, a way of accessing that the dietary laws are, are much more than just you'll be sick. Absolutely, they're a way of dividing because mm-hmm. other people were eating right, those things right. at that time. But for me, there's something very powerful about being able to continue mm-hmm. certain traditions. So. Since you mentioned particularly mm-hmm. the idea that Moses couldn't know mm-hmm. what our lives would be like now, what does that mean for us in terms of revelation that is ancient? How do we remain authentic to an ancient tradition, your ancient tradition, my ancient tradition? How do we remain authentic thousands of years later when life is so profoundly different? Absolutely. I, I think that is a real, that is a real challenge. Um, on, on some level, it is profoundly different. On the another level, it is just the same. <laughs> the, for me, this summer um, at United, I did a whole preaching series on the minor prophets, the mm-hmm. twelve, the twelve prophets of of, um, uh, of the Hebrew Bible. You know, those prophets who lived between f- uh, four, I mean, th- two to three thousand years ago, basically. And realize, and one of the reasons I wanted to do it was even though they lived two or three thousand years between two to three thousand years ago and in a completely different environment, the issues they were facing are not all that dissimilar from what we're facing. When Micah or Amos talk about the poor being sold for a pair of shoes, or people not know, hardly being able to wait for the Sabbath to be over so that they could start cheating one another again, he's describing our world to a certain degree. Mm. And you know, I may not be wearing sandals. Um, or, you know, the poor may be sold for other kinds of things, but that the, the ethical issues are the same. And so for me, that's, that's an important part of it. So then what are the universal truths in the tradition that essentially transcend time, that you're able to say from whichever text or from whichever um, theological uh, understanding, what, what can you hold to be true and say, well, this is almost the core of our faith, this um, doesn't matter if it's 2016 mm-hmm. or 3016. This is still important. Well, I would go back to to sort of what we have as our central mission statement at United, uh, which is love God, love neighbor. And then we've expanded that, as I said, to include love creation. Uh, certainly the love God, love neighbor, I mean, that's something Christians share with our Jewish brothers and sisters, and it's also part of Islam. Um, and, and it's part of every major tradition. And, and then the notion of extending that beyond creation, again, if you look at either your sacred texts or um, my sacred texts, that somehow connecting to this, to this natural world um, is, is at the core as well. Allow me to challenge you even more. <laughs> as even if you more. haven't been already. <laughs> we drove here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we drove here in cars that mm-hmm. were not environmentally friendly. I will be having lunch later and probably my food was not locally grown Mm -hmm. uh, and and so on. There's a lot that we do to talk about love of creation Mm -hmm. while actually not seeming to love creation in the way that we act. What does that mean then to love creation? Can we do that even in our lives without being hypocritical? That's a really good question and I appreciate the challenge. Um, I don't think we can do it without. I don't know if being hypocritical is the right is is the concern is the term I would use, but knowing that we're always going to fall short of the mark, and that, um, and that and that because of that, I mean, we live in a broken world, and we ourselves are finite human beings. So for me, it's where that's where the notion of 
grace and um, and God's love um, does come in. But it does mean, however, that certainly in the last 30 to 40 years or 50 years now, as we've been becoming more aware of the impact that we human beings have on the cre- on the created world, we have a responsibility, and and that do we love it? Do we love creation fully? No, but I mean, I also have to say I don't love my neighbor fully either. I mean, I'm not, you know, I haven't given away all of my goods and sold. Th- I mean, sold them, sold them, and given the money to the poor. I try within the best of my ability. I mean, again, that's the plumb line. It's not the. Um, it's how I want to try to organize my life, and I believe that, that we need to organize our lives, be there as, as faith communities or as a nation or as a, as a world community, um, but also knowing that we're always going to fall short of it. I mean, even in, even in the most intimate relationships of our lives, or at least speaking for myself, I won't put this on you, <laughs> in the most intimate relationships of our lives, at least I know for myself, you know, there is never going to be enough patience or understanding um, to always be on the same wavelength as the other person or to always be able to meet their needs. Not because I'm a bad person, but because I'm a finite human being. So love for you is an attempt. Love of God, love of the neighbor, love of creation is something that we attempt to do to the best of our ability. But we know because the world is broken and because we're finite that we're going to fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, What does it mean for the world to be broken? I think just what you were saying in terms of um, uh, with regard to the, to the notion of the cars that we drive or the other, or other aspects of our lifestyles that we, um, you know, I mean, I, the world is broken if uh, you just have to pick up the newspaper. But broken implies it was once whole and then shattered. Well, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, was the world ever whole and then shattered? Or is this just mm-hmm. imperfect matter, imperfect being? Are we actually mm-hmm. going from a perfect place that is shattered and trying to do the best we can mm-hmm, with it? Mm-hmm. Or is the world actually starting chaotic mm-hmm. and void mm-hmm. almost and moving towards a state of perfection? Um, <laughs> to quote uh, Kanzazakis again, you ask me questions for which I have no answers. <laughs> no, but I think it's a very good point. Um, that I mean, certainly, again, in the tradition that, that Christians share with Jews, of the Garden of Eden and all of that, there is this notion that the world was perfect from the very beginning, or was perfect at the very beginning, and then um, and then became fallen or broken. That's not really so much what I mean, and perhaps what you're saying more in terms of it being, you know, the, just by nature is chaotic and, and imperfect in that regard. Um, are we moving as a world toward greater perfection? Sometimes I think yes. I mean, I certainly am glad for, for example, um, the, the, the changing roles of women in the world. I mean, that's happened just in my own life, uh, in my own lifetime. Um, but at the same time, I also know that the issues around war and violence and certainly this last two or three years in this country, seeing racism rear its ugly head um, makes me wonder at times. Let me ask you a final question. You mention in your on your website that the world needs this faith, your faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? What does the world need from your faith? What can you give the world? What do you give the world? Okay, well, let me preface it that first by saying that in saying that, I'm not saying that the world doesn't need other faiths. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, I'm a Christian. Um, it's one way of understanding this world, finding meaning, giving oneself, giving courage to 
help make this world a better place. But it's not the only way. And I do believe that 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 religious different. I mean, the varieties of religious experience that. This mystery called God is very creative and very imaginative, far beyond my own, and that even within the Christian tradition itself, there's a variety of religious experiences, all the way from Quaker silence to high Catholic mass to Pentecostal, all of that, and it's true within Judaism as well. Um, so that in saying the world needs this faith, what I'm saying is that that I do think Christianity has something to offer, um, that I do think that at its best it can give people hope. At its best, it can show us how to love one another and how to love creation. At its best, it, um, it uh, is a lively, engaging faith that, that challenges us to be more than what we think we can be. And, and so for me, it's, it's not, you know, the world needs this faith and no other faith. And I'm not saying that by any means. But at least for me, as somebody who uh, is in this tradition, um, I think there are a lot of people out there who, um, who would enjoy, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's engaging. It's funny. It's, it's all kinds of things. Thank you. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And you've added to my soul searching and also to hopefully to those who are listening. Reverend Talitha Arnold, uh, Senior Minister of United Church of Santa Fe, thank you for your presence today. Thank you for soul searching with us. And thank you, Rabbi Neal, for um, your leadership in all of this as well. It's good to be a colleague. Thank you. So you've been listening to Soul Searching on KSFR 101.1 with Rabbi Neil Amswich.